0: Today I'm speaking with Dr. Ronan Lee. You're a former politician, uh, currently a visiting scholar at Queen Mary University of London's International State Crime Initiative and author of Myanmar Rohingya Genocide, Identity, History and Hate Speech. Welcome Dr. Lee.
1: Great to be with you.
0: Um, So how did you get started on writing this book, and
1: what was that process like for you? Well, well I started by uh, actually visiting Myanmar uh, in, in the days when they didn't have any semblance of free elections, Aung San Suu Kyi, the, their most prominent international figure was under house arrest. And it was a country that was really closed to outside influences, to, to the outside world and had been for decades. Uh, I, I was also there throughout a transition, we thought, in Myanmar from a complete military rule to some form of democratic uh, rule in the country or, or some form of, of democracy and civilian uh, government. That was in uh, 2010 and another election uh, was held in 2015. I was, I was in the country for both and, and, and I developed an interest in, in Myanmar. Uh, my background's obviously politics, I have an interest in politics and public policy and human rights and uh, decided to pursue a PhD that was going to look at the transition that was potentially underway in Myanmar. But as soon as I started, it became very apparent to me that, that the, mo- the more pressing issue was the human rights uh, conditions of the Rohingya community in, in uh, Rakhine State, uh, Myanmar. Uh, the, on the the western frontier of the country, uh, it was it was under researched. It was a population that had been cut off from the outside world in in large part w- was often being ignored internationally because they didn't uh, their story of of ongoing oppression didn't fit with an international narrative about a country that was supposedly opening up to the outside world. So. Um, I began my research with the Rohingya community in about uh, 2012 and uh, undertook uh, a, a master's uh, research and a doctoral st- a doctoral study as well. I've continued, obviously, my, my uh, academic work with the Rohingya uh, after that. And this book is the product of uh, 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 doctoral studies that I undertook uh, Archival work that I, I undertook in the in the UK in the old uh, East India Company archive because the the, the colonial era uh, archives became quite important to the to to understanding the 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 history of Myanmar and the history of the Rohingya and in fact the history of the area where they live before it was part of uh, a, a, a a state that might be understood as Burma or Myanmar when it was its own independent kingdom. And and that was a situation that existed until the, the late 18th century. So, so really uh, quite recent. Uh, And also a lot of work with the Rohingya community themselves. I mean, so first person accounts of, of what their lives have been like within Myanmar uh, as, as migrants uh, out, of Myanmar, often in very unhappy circumstances, and more recently as as victims of a, a large scale forced deportation out of Myanmar during twenty seventeen that that did that did get quite significant international media coverage, and, and that and that's what the book looks at. It looks at the Rohingyas' uh, history, uh, their identity, who who they are, uh, what their history has been in in that area. Uh, when it was part of Myanmar and before that, and it looks at their current views about what they want, what they see as their ideal future.
0: So who are the Rohingyas?
1: Well, they're, they're a primarily Muslim community who have found themselves living in a majority Buddhist country in Myanmar, I mean still often known as Burma, uh, they're living in a part of Myanmar that's adjacent to Bangladesh. And in many ways, it could be described as the, the, the meeting point between South Asia and Southeast Asia. And consequently, uh, they've found themselves treated often by the authorities of, of modern day Myanmar as not legitimately part of the country which is untrue, they're, they're certainly Myanmar nationals. Um, but they regard themselves, because it's their history, as, as very loyal to Myanmar and having been part of the Rakhine State area for, I mean, they say time immemorial. I mean, as, as far back as you can go, there've been Rohingya living uh, in Rakhine State, Myanmar. Now, before uh, modern Myanmar was a country and before uh, the, the British colonizers were in what was then Burma. Uh, there was an independent kingdom in that area uh, no, known to outsiders as Arakan and Arakan was a uh, trading a trading kingdom uh, kingdom. I mean at times Arakan had a population uh, d- during during the 15th, the 14th, the 15th century Arakan would have at 16th century Arakan would have had a population in its in its capital, that was similar in size to cities like London or Naples or Paris. I mean, this was a a trading kingdom that had strong trade links through the Bay of Bengal and beyond. It was multi-ethnic and multi-religious. So there were were Buddhists there, there were Muslims there. Uh, At times, the kingdom minted coins with the Kalima, the the Islamic Declaration of Faith. Uh, Persian was the the administrative language. And Persian continued to be the administrative language of Arakan right up until the kingdom was invaded by the Burma Empire in 1784. I mean, that's relatively recent. Uh, At the time of that invasion, uh, Arakan had shrunk to approximate the size of the modern state of Rakhine, Rakhine State, which is within Myanmar today. But but in the years, in the centuries prior to that, it it had been much larger and it, it included territory that today is part of modern Bangladesh. So that's contributed to some of the modern historical narratives within Myanmar that the Rohingya are not, strictly speaking, from... Myanmar, which just isn't true. These are, these are Myanmar nationals. Their uh, ancestral lands are in the Rakhine State area, and they've been unfairly denied in recent years, unfairly denied uh, recognition of their citizenship. And with that has come uh, shocking abuses of, of Rohingya human rights. It's worth noting that when Burma, as it then was, became independent in 1948, There was a civilian era, so civilian government in the country, and that lasted until a coup in 1962. But during that civilian era, uh, the Rohingya were unquestionably part of the national political fabric. They served in parliament. Uh, There were Rohingya parliamentary secretaries. They They were teachers and police officers and doctors and lawyers and public servants. They were certainly citizens of the country, uh, the the civilian era prime minister describes Rohingya as nationals akin to other groups, and, and the country's early president as well made similar statements about the Rohingya. But that changed, and that changed when the military seized power in 1962. And Myanmar's military, as we're seeing in in modern, that we're seeing right now today, is a brutal institution. Uh, it, it's it's an uh, an institution that is anti foreigner. Uh, it's it's xenophobic in the extreme. Uh, some of its 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 leaders tend to be uh, uh, tend to have a particular uh, adherence to a certain type of extreme Buddhist nationalism that 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 would not be consistent with the sort of Buddhism that we would understand, but it, that most people would understand, but it's a sort of a political Buddhist nationalism and it's incredibly xenophobic. Uh, and they, the military of Myanmar, uh, they conceive of the country as a, an entity that is uh, primarily Buddhist and primarily from the Bama uh, ethnic group, which is the majority ethnicity within Within modern Myanmar, and the the military, of course, then enforces policies to achieve that outcome, and the Rohingya have been at the at the pointy end of that. So what we what we saw in twenty seventeen, there was a a genocidal campaign against uh, Rohingya civilians that forced uh, around eight hundred thousand Rohingya civilians into Bangladesh, so out of Myanmar and across the frontier into Bangladesh, where they live today in refugee camps, uh, some of which are so adjacent to the the frontier that they can see their former villages in Myanmar across the border. Uh, That's the, the sort of tactics that the military used in 2017. We are today seeing brought into cities like Yangon and Mandalay and now have been used against... Uh, Pro democracy and anti coup protesters within Myanmar. Now, so, what's
0: going on with the anti coup campaign currently.
1: Well, they're bravely continuing to fight against against a military that's that seized control of government in their country. Uh, there was an election in Myanmar just last no- just last November. It overwhelmingly rejected the military's proxy party a- and endorsed. The, uh, the the civilian administration, uh, which was led by Aung San Suu Kyi, uh, the will of the people is very clear. They do not want the military involved in, in politics in their country, uh, but the military seized power. They've arrested Aung San Suu Kyi and the civilian leaders of the country. They've arrested uh, uh, upwards of 1,200 other pro-democracy activists. I mean, these are These are people who've organized peaceful street protests against military rule. Uh, These are trade union uh, organizers who've who've organized a civil disobedience movement, which is is, again, peacefully resisting military control. They've arrested uh, people who take photographs of their crimes. So journalists, photographers, uh, uh, they've arrested poets. Uh, This is a, a military that does not want any opposition to its rule. But the people are against them. And overwhelmingly, the people have continued to come out onto the streets to oppose Myanmar's military brutality with peaceful resistance. And it, it's having an effect. Uh, the military is struggling. Uh, their, their, their access to international funds has increasingly been cut off. Uh, the civil disobedience movement has, has closed the banks. So, so the military can't pay their soldiers uh, Myanmar's military is worth understanding, not so much the way we might understand a military in a not, not the way we'd understand a professional military in another country. This is really a an organized crime syndicate that uses its that uses its control of politics and of political power to exploit the country and the people economically. So this is not a military that sees its its core that, that enacts its core role as the protection of the people. This is a military that that uses language to that effect, but in practice, it, it uses its control of the country's politics to make its generals rich and their families rich, and the richest people in Myanmar will will usually be people connected with the military with generals their families and various cronies so the peaceful protests and the civil disobedience movement is having an effect because it's it's cutting off the military's access to the cash that it needs to continue uh, its its control of the country's politics and the people are making clear that they they, they won't give up until the military's out of politics
0: Cal- They're saying that there is proof of fraud from the election. Has that actually been proven that fraud took place in the election, which saw Aung San Suu Kyi win by a landslide?
1: No, their claims are rubbish. Every time Aung San Suu Kyi and her political party has stood in an election in Myanmar, they've overwhelmingly been elected. Every time the military's proxy party has faced a competitive election in Myanmar, they've been soundly defeated. I mean, every single time. Uh, The military's proxy party last October achieved less than 8% of the seats. It's very clear that if there's free and fair elections in Myanmar, the military's proxy parties will be rejected by the people. Uh, I mean, it looks it looks to me like the military is grasping at straws and attempting to use any excuse they can come up with. But the people aren't believing this. I mean, the sheer numbers of people who are out on the streets of Myanmar protesting against the coup makes clear that the military's claims that there was that 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 their result that the election results would have been any different uh, if the election was held tomorrow or next week or next year are, are just complete. An utter rubbish. Uh, if, if the military holds, if, if Myanmar holds a free and fair election tomorrow, the military will be defeated by an even bigger margin than it was last November. But of course, the, the proof that the military's lying comes from the fact that the people that they're arresting, uh, peaceful pro-democracy campaigners, journalists, photographers, these are the people that are fundamental to a democratic society. So the military's claims that they support democracy are, are shown to be rubbish because they're preventing an arrest. They're preventing the actual people who would deliver a democracy from from participating freely in in Myanmar society. If the military had any decency, they would admit that what they are doing is simply grabbing power and that's all it is uh, they're defending uh, they're, def- they're defending the economic interests of the coup leader general Minong Lang uh, Minong Lang's family have extensive business interests in Myanmar they've got a business empire he was due to retire he, a, he was reaching the mandatory retirement age this year of 65. Uh, The the government was not minded to change the law. The civilian government, democratically elected civilian government, was not minded to change the law to allow him to stay on as military leader beyond the mandatory retirement age. And he feared that what would happen was that his family's business interests would be threatened as soon as he was out of the military and and couldn't provide military protection for them. So in those circumstances, he launched a coup so this is a coup that was launched to protect the business interests of the leaders of the military of myanmar and it's nothing more than that it's nothing to do with protecting uh, any other national interest there's no risks to the country's sovereignty uh, there's no th- there was no instability and in, no real instability in the country uh, that would warrant a coup uh, but what the military has done is it's created immense instability within myanmar they have from the day they launched their coup destabilized the country's politics uh, wrecked the country's economy investment is running away from Myanmar very quickly uh, it's it's virtually impossible for anyone to invest in Myanmar today and and today nor should they uh, military businesses are now finding that uh, that that uh, internationally people aren't prepared to do business with them which is a which is a good thing uh, but the country is not functioning because the public service is shut down and the banks have shut down and this is because the military launched a coup
0: so do we know what's happening with Aung San Suu Kyi right now where she is how she's doing has there been any updates
1: Well, she's she's under house arrest. She's been arrested. Uh, She's been charged uh, by the military with, uh, quite frankly, ludicrous charges. I mean, the first the first charge that was leveled against her, I believe, was was about the illegal importation of walkie talkies. I mean, this is. This is ludicrous. Uh, that the military then had a problem when it was it was starting to, to come out that the walkie talkies had in fact been provided to her security team, uh, had likely been provided to her security team by the military themselves, and and then they've and since then they've accused her of of. Um, uh, election campaigning in breach of, of COVID-19 restrictions during last November's election. I mean, these are ludicrous charges uh, and they're politically motivated uh, and they're designed purely to keep Aung San Suu Kyi uh, out of Myanmar politics because the general, the general's fear that if she's active in politics, they'll be beaten again. She'll become, uh, she'll become an obvious uh, rallying point for, uh, the anti-coup movement within Myanmar. Uh, her lawyer has not had access to her since she's been, since she's been charged. Uh, she doesn't, the, the lawyer hasn't, there's been some new charges levelled, I understand, just last week, and her lawyer has not been told what they are. I mean, this is, this is a, a military that is acting uh, contrary to not just international law, but domestic law. Uh, They've seized power from a legitimately elected uh, civilian administration. Uh, And they're today, as we speak, right now, murdering people, peaceful protesters on the streets of Myanmar's towns and cities. And there's video footage that that emerges every day of of Myanmar soldiers uh, targeting peaceful protesters. Uh, They're using snipers. To shoot peaceful protests. I mean, these are not tactics designed to disperse crowds. These are tactics designed to murder people. Uh, the military have targeted, uh, quite, quite actively targeted medical personnel. Uh, there, there's some some shocking footage been circulated uh, online of soldiers uh, dragging ambulance workers out of out of their ambulance and 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 brutally beating. Them before trashing their ambulance. Been the examples of soldiers firing upon uh, first responders who've come who've come to assist people that are that that are in need of medical care. Soldiers have have fired live rounds uh, into hospitals. Uh, this this is a this is a military that should not be anywhere near political power, and and, and frankly needs to be prosecuted by by a competent international body, probably probably at the International Criminal
0: Court. So why are we not seeing the international community with boots on the ground in Myanmar right now?
1: Sorry, the, the, the line just uh, crackled somewhat That's there. Okay. You wouldn't run why aren't we question?
0: seeing the international community send in military personnel and boots on the ground to address what's going on in the country right now?
1: So the, the international community's response has been, uh, ha- has been strong in terms of words and strong in terms of economic action there has been targeted Economic sanctions against the military and companies that they control, and that's a that's a smart approach. I mean, it's smart for the international community to target their sanctions at the military and at military-controlled businesses. Now, the sanctions that have been announced, uh, p- particularly uh, 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 particularly uh, by the US, Canada has been has been quite strong in terms of in terms of its action on, on this, and and you know that we should commend. The the countries that have actually stepped up, and Canada's one of those. Uh, the EU's been slow to respond. Uh, ASEAN has been, as an institution, has been has been uh, weak. Uh, the UN Security Council has been strong on words, but soft on, very soft on on actions. I mean, been no actions from the UN Security Council. The the reluctance to engage in Myanmar, I think, is that. It is not a, while Myanmar's position, it, it's got a, it holds a strategic position between China and India in the Bay of Bengal. There's a reluctance by Western powers to engage strategic interests, and there's undoubtedly fears about sending uh, sending. Western troops into a country that was formerly colonised by Britain. Uh, China has been uh, quite a handbrake on uh, UN Security Council action. I mean, China shares a very long land border with Myanmar and is nervous about what's happening in the country and will be reluctant to see international actors that aren't China uh, on the ground in Myanmar. Now, that's... uh, I think quite a self-serving view on China's part. Uh, China has significant investments, obviously in Myanmar. It, it, has, uh, it, it has an oil and a gas pipeline from inland China to the Bay of Bengal, and that runs through Myanmar. So China has, China has real economic interests in, in Myanmar, but will be reluctant to allow Western countries to put boots on the ground. And and that comes at the expense of, that's coming at the expense of the lives, potentially potentially at the expense of the lives of peaceful protesters within Myanmar. Because the military of Myanmar believes that there is unlikely to be a strong military peacekeeping response from the international community. I, I think they've been emboldened to continue their campaign against the civilian protesters in in that country what needs to happen is that the the two the, the two major players at the UN security council uh, that have an interest here that have a serious interest here and that they've expressed an interest is the united states and and uh, china uh, the united states and china need to engage on this issue, not, not as a geopolitical opportunity for one to score points against the other, but with the interests of the Myanmar people prioritized. And I think that that, that, that has the potential to do two things. It has the potential to deliver an outcome for Myanmar's people that, that lives up, that, that delivers on their democratic aspirations but at the same time it, has the oppo- it it presents the opportunity for China and the. US to meaningfully engage in, 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 a, in a positive and productive way and in a way that doesn't involve both sides uh, both sides uh, positioning themselves and, and, and uh, seeking to gain advantage over one or the other. If, if the international community regards its involvement in Myanmar as an opportunity for them, as opposed to a responsibility to the population of Myanmar, then the outcome here will be very bad for the population of Myanmar. But there is an opportunity here. And the opportunity is for China and for the U S to push the UN security council to take some meaningful action, to make clear to the generals in Myanmar that the coup has to be reversed, that the soldiers need to go back to the barracks, and that the elected civilian government needs to be acknowledged immediately as the legitimate government of Myanmar.
0: Do you see China doing that though when they have money involved in the country?
1: As of today, no. I mean, what what we're seeing now is that people in Myanmar are uh, very frustrated with China's inaction i mean china's their neighbor china is and and not 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 a uh, china is not just a close neighbor it's the closest neighbor i mean they share a they share a a a, uh, a, 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 a Myanmar and china shares a border that's that's around 2000 kilometers long uh, th- there are very close links between china and myanmar there are uh, there's there's in the historically been, been migration back and forth. There's, there's huge Chinese investments within Myanmar. Uh, Myanmar is important to China uh, strategically. And what's happened, though, is that people within Myanmar, the, the general public, now perceive that China is preventing meaningful action at the UN Security Council, and they're starting to feel that China's letting them down and that China as much I mean the Chinese government made clear when the coup when the coup first occurred the Chinese government made clear that they weren't happy necessarily about the coup as, as much as they would ever message that they were unhappy with a domestic political outcome. Uh, the Chinese ambassador to Myanmar gave a statement it's been repeated in, in Chinese state media saying that the, that the coup is absolutely not what China wants to see But that's not how China's acted and and what's happening is that people in Myanmar are now believing that China's the problem and that China is by acting as a handbrake on meaningful action at the Security Council that China is backing the military within Myanmar and what we're starting to see is Chinese businesses uh, factories uh, within Myanmar are becoming a target for protests and uh, that is likely, that, that, that anger directed towards China is likely to grow, that, that people within Myanmar have a, that the population of Myanmar has a legitimate gripe with China. They feel that China's not doing enough to help them. And legitimately, uh, the, the, the protest movement within Myanmar, that wants that wants their democracy given back to them, uh, they will increasingly start to believe that china's part of their problem now that poses a problem for china going forward uh, you know china's got got investments in myanmar it's got a strategic interest in myanmar a situation where the population of myanmar regards the chinese as the, the chinese government as their enemy is, is really not in china's interests and and i I'd, I'd argue quite strongly that it's it's both in the interests of of the West, and in the interests of China,
0: will Myanmar ever actually for be a
1: strong action university? to be taken to reverse? Yeah, I think it will. I mean, the demographics of Myanmar are really important in this regard. The the most significant political inflection point in Myanmar's modern history, prior. Prior to prior to uh, this coup was the 1988 uprising, Now, this is the uprising that brought Aung San Suu Kyi to political power. It's it's framed the politics of the country since 1988. Uh, the leadership, the civilian leadership of Myanmar, those that are currently uh, uh, been jailed by coup by the coup leaders, they're they're mostly folk who've come to prominence through the 1988 uprising. But the interesting thing about Myanmar's demographics is 70% of the country weren't born in 1988. This is a really young country. This is a country where young people have a very different outlook to their parents and their grandparents in terms of politics. They've grown up when the country was more open to the outside world so there's been there's been major changes within Myanmar over the last ten years. I mean, a country that had been sealed from the outside world for fifty years un, under military rule, all of a sudden uh, gained access to the internet. Uh, people were allowed to travel more freely uh, and engage. The media became uh, somewhat freer within Myanmar, and. and People in the country had access to international media. Young people are young people today in Myanmar are much more globalist than their parents would have been, and certainly than their grandparents would have been. Now that's a comment we often make about people around the world that that young people are much more much more globalist. But it's a stark difference within Myanmar. Uh, the, the young people today have grown up with the internet. Uh, their parents were likely not to have seen the internet till about 2012. Wow. Their parents were likely not to have seen or certainly not to have used a smartphone till around 2012. And then all of a sudden, these things have rushed into Myanmar. Uh, The genie's out of the bottle in regards young people and their perspectives about what they're prepared to tolerate from their government, and what their expectations are about their future are very different to that of their parents. They've also learned how to campaign and how to protest from other political movements uh, in, in Asia and around the world. That There's strong links between Myanmar's protest movement and the, the Milk Tea Alliance, which is a, a, a pro-democracy anti authoritarian movement in in southeast and east asia uh, members of that group actively share techniques about how to campaign how to uh, how, how to engage with uh, with with, with a, a brutal military like we see in myanmar and they've also they're also sharing ideas about what sort of future they want for their country And I think as a result, at some point, the the demographic impetus will will be overwhelming and it won't be possible for the military of Myanmar to continue putting down uprisings against their rule because simply the numbers of people in the country who are against it and, and their capacity to campaign against them uh, will will overwhelm them. So I, I'm optimistic about Myanmar's future. My hope, my hope is that this coup represents the last, the last gasp of Myanmar's domination by its military. And that and and I think that's the attitude of many of the protesters that we're seeing on the streets of, of Myanmar, that this is that that the military has now crossed a line and, and they've gone too far and that Now what needs to be done is that they need to be removed from politics permanently and the sorts of compromises that their parents generation, and that includes Aung San Suu Kyi's uh, uh, political grouping, the sorts of compromises that they were prepared to make with the military for the sake of a a quasi-democracy the, the new protest movement won't be prepared and aren't prepared to make those compromises. They want the military out of politics, full stop. They want the military back in the barracks. They want a situation much, much like you'd see in, 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 in Western countries, where uh, the military is under the control of civilian political leadership, democratic leadership, because that's not the way it is in Myanmar today.
0: So how do we deal with the divisions among the different ethnic groups in the country and the economic oppression that they're dealing with currently? It,
1: th- there's been, I mean, for many people in Myanmar, particularly those among uh, the, the 30% of the country that might, 30% plus of the country that might describe themselves as part of an ethnic or religious minority. I mean, these, these are, I mean, minority, is, is a term we often use, but in, in, in actual fact, this is a, a substantial proportion of Myanmar uh, is not from the majority ethnicity uh, or, or the majority religion, but that substantial proportion of the country have often found themselves uh, badly mistreated uh, by the military. Uh, I mean, this UN reports, uh, you, I mean, recent UN reports described countries, uh, Crimes against humanity and war crimes uh, committed against ethnic minorities in uh, Shan state and in Kachin state. And these are states sort of on the front, on on the, the, um, around the borderlands of Myanmar. The demographics of Myanmar are are such that usually uh, ethnic and religious minorities live mostly uh, around the, the the borderlands of the country, and the flat central plains of Myanmar have traditionally been the home to the the ethnic Bamar group, the majority, which is a a, a mostly Buddhist group. Uh, ethnic and religious minorities have suffered shockingly uh, un, under military rule, and they've continued to suffer even with the quasi democracy that we've seen in in over the last decade, because. Uh, the military are, have been a law to themselves. Now the most public for many people outside of Myanmar, the most public example of that uh, has will have will have been the genocidal campaign against the rohingya, a mostly Muslim group uh, But what's important now and what we're seeing with the protest movement today is that there's been a there's immense unity across Myanmar in a way that we haven't seen before in terms of taking on the military. Now, there's a lot of work to do. We've seen strong solidarity from the Rohingya community towards the peaceful protesters. I mean, it would have been easy for many Rohingya to feel that they were let down by lots of people in Myanmar during 2017 when they called for help and when they, they said the military are, are conducting a shocking campaign against us and the civilian leadership of Myanmar turned their back on them and what we're seeing today on the streets of Myanmar is the same tactics are used often by often by members of the same military units that were deployed against the Rohingya and those tactics have been used against uh, people on the streets of Mandalay and Yangon and there's a rethinking going on for many people they're starting i mean i've had i've had a steady stream of emails and 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 social media interactions with people saying look we we got this wrong we we, we honestly didn't believe some of the stories that we were been told we thought they were too horrible to be true and now we're seeing it with our own eyes the stories that the Rohingya were telling must have been true now there's a long way to go uh it's the same to it to an extent for other ethnic and religious minorities some of them have uh long-standing uh, uh, military conflict with, with Myanmar's armed forces and they have there are ethnic armed groups representing uh, uh, dozens of uh, uh, dozens of ethnic uh, uh, minority communities throughout Myanmar but they've often found that their desires for political influence they want a federal they want to change the Constitution to, to to have a federal state that, that gives lo- that gives more uh, localized political control and recognition of, of their own cultures and languages. They've often found that those requests have, have fallen on deaf ears among the majority within Myanmar. And they felt let down, much as the Rohingya have felt let down, they felt let down by the civilian leadership of Myanmar. But that's changing now and just just the last two days, we've seen that, rep, that a re, the representative of the uh, the elected government uh, uh, th- th- that that I mean it's all it's not it's not a government in exile. It's actually a, a government that's within Myanmar. But it's the representatives of the the elected government that have been arrested by the coup leaders. They have reached out to ethnic and religious minority communities. And they're starting to use the language that, that those communities have wanted to hear for a long time around federalism and around rights. And that's important for maintaining unity in, in the anti-coup campaign. Something the military's always done quite well has been uh, put in place uh, divide and rule tactics where they, they pick off particular groups at particular times and undermine the anti and undermine those that would would that that want to deliver a Myanmar where the military doesn't have political influence and what we're seeing now is that the sorts of groups that in the past might have been ready targets for been picked off are actually staying together and that they're, 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 they're hanging with each other and they're staying loyal to each other and saying, because their view is that this is the chance to get rid of the common enemy, which is Myanmar's military. And once they're gone, there will be an expectation that Myanmar will, will deliver a much, much more mature democracy. Uh, one that uh, lives up to the aspirations of ethnic and religious minorities for for uh around federalism respect for their human rights respect for their their language and culture and and that's a very that's a very positive step but there's more to be done because there is a there is a bit of ground to be made up because some of those groups have felt let down over the years Uh, but there there are strong signs that there is uh, immense efforts been made for unity between uh, not just the representatives of the ousted civilian administration, but also representatives of trade unions, uh, representatives of, of young people who've often themselves been excluded from politics, and importantly, representatives of ethnic and religious minorities. I mean, it's uh, this, the, the, there is an anti-coup movement in Myanmar that has unified the country uh, in, in a way that's genuinely impressive and presents uh, presents a future for Myanmar that can be very bright if the military can be got out of politics.
0: How would that be possible with the military having 25% of the elected seats? And in the past, we've seen Aung San Suu Kyi not really willing to speak out on the genocide that has been happening in the country. So, how do we address those two parts into creating a free and democratic society in Myanmar?
1: Well, the protesters in the streets of Myanmar have made very clear that once the military's out, they have no interest in returning to the pre coup status quo. There was a status quo where the military retained 25% directly appointed seats in the parliament and a constitutional veto as a a consequence, where the military retained control of of government ministries and and where the military was not under any form of civilian oversight. Uh, The the protesters throughout Myanmar, the anti-coup movement have made very clear uh, they have no interest in going back to that so that's not a future that will happen that's not a future that will exist for the military if 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 the coup fails the coup's reversed there will be a, a renegotiation of myanmar's constitutional arrangements it'll be a negotiation that gives uh, much more influence to ethnic and religious minorities it's it'll be a renegotiation that utterly removes the military from political influence and, and from seats in the parliament and from a constitutional veto that's what the protesters want the protesters want to go well beyond the sorts of compromises that Aung San Suu Kyi was and her party were prepared to accept Uh, Aung San Suu Kyi and her uh, political party were very poor when it came to the uh, the genocidal campaign against the Rohingya. They, they, I mean, her reputation internationally is, is rightly trashed by her defence of genocide crimes by the military and her closeness to the military. And the consequences of her actions are now are now been, been endured by Myanmar's majority because she emboldened the military. She, she let them act with impunity against the Rohingya community and now they're acting with impunity against the majority of the country. And that's something that should not, should not have been allowed to happen and probably wouldn't have been allowed to happen had she taken a firmer stand uh, when the military were brutalising the, the Rohingya during 2017. But the good news is that the protest movement in Myanmar has wised up to the sorts of compromises that Aung San Suu Kyi, the politician, uh, was prepared to make. And they're not gonna make those mistakes again. They understand that what they're trying to do is return Myanmar to a part of democracy. They're not simply trying to return Aung San Suu Kyi. And, And I think there's an important distinction to be made here between a political campaign to return Aung San Suu Kyi's government to power and a nationwide campaign to remove the military from political influence and set the country back on a path towards democracy and they're two different things and the protesters are on the streets of, of Myanmar today and every day because they want the country to be democratic and they want the me- they want the military to be out of politics they're not just doing it because they want Aung San Suu Kyi back or anything like that so i think i think if the military can be got out of politics and the coup can be defeated the constitutional future can be much brighter, uh, not just for for groups like the Rohingya, but also for Myanmar's ethnic, other ethnic and religious minorities.
0: So with everything going on in Myanmar right now, what does this mean for the Rohingya community?
1: Uh, The military in power in Myanmar is really bad news for the Rohingya, whether they're Rohingya that are in in refugee camps in Bangladesh, or whether the, the Rohingya who are living in Myanmar currently. And there's, there's hundreds of thousands of Rohingya living in Myanmar currently. They're, they're locked down in their, in their villages. Uh, 140,000 are, are trapped in a concentration camp within Myanmar today. They've been there since 2012. They're, they're living in, in really shocking circumstances within Myanmar. Their rights have been badly restricted for decades, but they know that their community's conditions are always worse when the military has more power. Uh, The Rohingya had full economic and political rights in Myanmar during the civilian era prior to 1962. Those rights were, were shockingly eroded under military control. And, and genocidally eroded. Uh, they, their community's been terribly badly treated by the military and badly let down by, by Myanmar's civilian political leaders too in recent years. But the Rohingya will know that the circumstances are always worse when the military's in control in Myanmar. Uh, that I think is why we've seen such strong solidarity with the protest movement from Rohingya among the diaspora and I mean we've we've seen we've seen diaspora leaders speaking strongly about about uh human rights in Myanmar about the need to to get the military out of politics and 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 assisting uh assisting the anti-coup movement where, where they can we've seen solidarity from Rohingya refugees living in in in, in in poverty in refugee camps in Bangladesh, but they're they're showing solidarity with the anti coup protests. I mean, there's there's been uh, there's been candlelight vigils to to show support. There's been uh, protests too uh, in in the camps to show Rohingya support for democracy within Myanmar. I mean, the Rohingya's future the Rohingya's future will always be bleaker if the military is in control within Myanmar, Uh, there are, of course, uh, lots of people today uh, who've, who since the coup has started have had a rethink about their attitude towards the Rohingya. Lots of people in, in, in Myanmar have have genuinely started to rethink uh, their, their previous views. And that's a positive thing. It's come very late, but that's a positive thing that it's, that it's come at all. Now, now that's a, that's a, that's a small start. It's not, This is not a a landslide of of values change. This is not an overwhelming values change within Myanmar, but it is, there are certainly glimmers of support for the Rohingya and their aspirations that were not there prior to the coup. And they weren't there, uh, and they're there now because people have experienced firsthand. The brutality of Myanmar's military, and they're starting to realise very quickly that the sorts of stories that the Rohingya were telling about exactly how they were brutalised by the military, uh, uh, you know, these stories ring true because people people in in Myanmar's urban settings, uh, who are a long way from where the Rohingya live, uh, are now seeing the military on their streets using the same tactics or similar tactics to those that were used Against Rohingya communities.
0: Do you worry about your own safety for speaking out on this issue? And what's next for you?
1: No, I'm in London, so so um, the the I mean, it's easy it's easy for me. I mean, I worry about people who are on the streets of Myanmar's towns and cities that they're, they're they're putting their lives at risk daily. Uh, they are. Uh, participating in protests, peaceful protests against the coup that they know could cost them their lives. I mean, it's it's a level of bravery that is um, outstanding. Uh, the stories have been incredible in, in terms of the, the bravery of protesters. And the stories have been tragic too in terms of the way they've been mistreated by by the military, uh, I, I, I worry. I worry for them. Uh, I, I worry for Myanmar. Uh, th- th- this is a country that deserves much better than being governed by a brutal and exploitative military regime. Um, and and I hope I hope that the protests succeed and that they can get the military out of politics for once and for all and that they can get their country back and deliver and deliver a Myanmar that has a more mature democracy and and one that delivers on delivers on the for the for the, the delivers for the aspirations of everyone in Myanmar that doesn't exclude people I mean, I, I want to see a Myanmar that doesn't exclude people on the basis of their religion or their ethnic identity, and, and that's that would be a very positive future for Myanmar, and it's one that that the anti coup protesters can achieve for their country. Uh, in In terms of in terms of my next work, um, uh, I, I'll continue I'll continue to work with uh, Rohingya communities. Um, I'm I'm uh complete completing some other some other papers at the moment um based on some research uh that i that i undertook um with 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 the rohingya uh in in bangladesh and also um doing some uh doing some further examinations about uh the rohingya's history going back to the the pre-colonial era i mean there's there's a wealth of information available in 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 archives and other places that really strengthen the Rohingya's historical claim to uh, be long-term residents within Myanmar. To be th- that 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 the place they live in Rakhine State is certainly their ancestral lands, and uh, some of a lot of a lot of that hasn't been researched and published yet, and it needs to be because it's important to the Rohingya community that it is. And uh, I'll, I'll take the opportunity over the next uh, the next while to uh, to work on that and and help strengthen the Rohingya's claims about their their history and their rights.
0: So, people who are listening to this today, how can they help and support what's going on in the area with the Rohingya community and the anti coup campaign?
1: Well, well, the first thing they should do is is hassle their local politician. To demand stronger action from their government, that's that's something that needs to, to be done, and it should be something that's easy for I mean, it's an easy thing for for, uh, for, for for listeners to do. They can contact their local uh, the local member of parliament, their local representative, and demand that they pressure the government to take stronger steps to make sure that that their government does not allow comp- uh, businesses from their country to do business with Myanmar's military, uh, also to pressure their government to work towards a global arms embargo. I mean, it's ludicrous that Myanmar's military, which is using its guns against its own people, should be allowed to continue buying weapons from anyone. There should be, a, there should be a, an enforced global arms embargo. And that's that's something that, that governments need to... Governments need to to push for. Uh, there, there's various other ways to to assist, depending on what what country people are in. Um, there's, um, I mean, I, I would recommend the hashtag uh, What's Happening in Myanmar uh, to keep up to date with events on the ground, but also to keep up to date with opportunities to provide direct support for uh, the civil disobedience movement within Myanmar. I mean, it's. It's not just the military that have found their access to resources limited. Protesters on the streets are not going to work, obviously. They they're, they will be they will be struggling financially too, and they need they will need support uh, as well. But but at the hashtag What's Happening in Myanmar, uh, people will be able to find all all the various ways that they'll be able to help uh, in, in their um, in their country.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Ronan Lee and there's one thing I took away from today is it's the actions we hear a lot of people speaking about helping out in Myanmar, but it's time that action and the democracy and a free and democratic society is brought to these people that deserve it and hopefully we can see in the future the Rohingya communities that have felt like they've needed to leave, have the opportunity to return to their homeland. I'm Laura Nelson for Next Big Things